You know, knowledge is power and it's impossible. You can't just sit behind your desk all day and draw. You got to get into the field and see how see how these things are built and ask the questions because once you experience it, you learn it. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm here with Nick Snerna. What's the name of your firm? NVS Architects. I love it. Dude, yeah. I'm excited about doing this. Likewise. Me too. Nick's a Bozeman. Nick, just so everybody knows, i got to set the table because this was one bizarre conversation. It was I am bizarre. driving across Wyoming, what, two years ago? It was like yeah. February two years ago? Yes, it was. We're in the heart of COVID. Nick's in Cleveland. Phones me and goes, uh, hey, I, how did you find me? You found me on the web or... I found somewhere. you. I found you on the internet. Somebody had said you got to try and if you're going to move your firm out west, you got to try and get into Build Magazine. That's what they said. So, googled the magazine, found you. Somehow, I've got your cell phone number. I wasn't expecting it to be your cell phone, but it was. So my wife and I are driving across Wyoming. It's cold. It's snow on the ground. I want to say it was like 25 degrees or something. And you phoned me and said, uh, you started picking my brain. And I think right. we talked for like half an hour. Yes, we did. And I said, if, if you're going to come out west, there's two states because you got a young family. Yep. Um, there's two states that if it were me, I'd move to. And one is Wyoming and the other is Montana. And then yes. we started talking about Bozeman. And yep. how is it? Are. Here we are. It's been it's been amazing, man. It's been a a, a very interesting, very welcoming journey to Montana. It's been it's been really good, but a lot's changed in, since we first chatted. So it was it was great to reconnect when we had the opportunity to. Hey, before we get too far away, I want you to know I put five hundred dollars on the Browns to win the Super Bowl. Hey, now we're talking. Now we're talking <laughs> serious. <laughs> I got a partner down in Dallas, and he's from Cleveland, and. Uh, he and I like to go to the casino and have a little fun. And, Love it. And so I'm talking to him, and I'm a Seahawk fan. I've lived out west 35 years. I am a yep. diehard. I grew up a Bills fan growing up in Toronto. I'm a Seahawk fan through and through. And so I become – but I love sports, and I love the competition. I love all the battles that go into winning and losing. So, yep. So I talked to Dave, and Dave is such a – junkie when it comes to the Browns and I remember the dog pound I remember Denver kicked your ass every single year in the 90s it hurts man it hurts Not right I'm so but, this this weekend there's a lot of excitement around this weekend I'm almost too nervous to be excited well so so it was 3,500 to one for you guys to win was it really it still is so I bought these yesterday because I'm going to Dallas on Monday and well, I hope Texas, you win I do too. I hope Your defense you is so good. Defense is solid, man. Defense is yeah. solid. 
I mean, they shit the bed this week against Cleveland or Cincinnati, but yeah. my buddy goes, they they rested everybody. Nobody played. Nobody, Nobody played. played. All right, so I'm jacked up. So anyway, getting back to this story. <laughs> I love it. Um, so it was so cool talking to you. And Likewise. one of the questions I, you know, we're going to get into is how difficult is it to up and relocate? And it's obviously a little bit easier because your wife, your wife went to school in Moscow, Idaho. Yep. At the University of Idaho, so she it probably wasn't too tough to get her to move back home. No, not at all. I mean, she's got she had roots out here, um, you know. And honestly, if I if I didn't meet my wife. Uh, her and I met in Italy in 2009 when I was studying architecture, and you know, that's honestly, where most I guys go to get. They don't go online; they go no, to Italy. Forget all those apps. You got you got to go to Europe, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you know, if I didn't meet her, I don't think we would have traveled west. You know, she kind of taught me in that you know, moving outside of your comfort zone is okay, and and the fact that she had roots out west made the transition a little bit easier. I would still say. You know, we've isolated ourselves because when we first moved, we didn't know anybody here. But like I said, Bozeman's been very welcoming. The people that we've met have been great. And I think what's what's unique about my wife, Kate, and I is, is we tend to gravitate towards awesome people very quickly, which is which is why work has gone has, as it has. Because, yeah. you know, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. And we put a lot of energy into people. And, and just like growing our team, and we, we've been lucky enough to just meet great people. And that was in Ohio. That's if we go on a quick trip somewhere, we tend to meet some awesome people as we travel the world together. So it's been, it's been great. And she, she opened a lot, of, a lot of doors for me just because she was out this way. And she kind of opened my eyes too. So so did you ever connect with my buddy Jamie Patterson I from did. PRG? Yes, I he's did. A, we've he's, he's a, a great, great guy. Dude. We've met a few we've met a few times. I actually just got his I sent him a holiday card and it got sent back um cuz they didn't take it into PRG's office. But him and I were supposed to supposed to grab a, a little holiday cocktail before Thanksgiving and then he was traveling a ton. So that's on our list to do for probably February. So we'll get together. But him, like many others, man, it's just been everybody's just everybody opens their door, wants to meet, wants to understand who I am and and does what they can to help. And it's been it's been great. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. Bozeman is an awesome place. Downtown is is cute. Obviously, they're passionate about the Grizz and and that's that's kind of a fun vibe. The Yellowstone Club is on steroids. It's just incredible so yeah i'm excited that you're there and and one of the one of the things that i find so intriguing from our conversation is you had the guts to actually pick up and move how challenging was that it was tough it was it was really tough especially during uh, in a lot of ways covid made it easier because we had been isolated from so many people for quite a while so it wasn't like you know, I think in, in just normal times, if we would have been, I come from a big Italian family where, you know, somebody loses a tooth, you, you get together, you know, it's a big thing. So we had a, we had a year and a half of really not spending time with, with many people. So it wasn't like, it, it wasn't that hard of a bandaid to rip off. The tough part obviously was having our first kid and, and leaving my folks, but you know, you kind of have to do what you got to do. And um, it was a tough move for sure, but we came out here. We had a great, you know, at the time I had a great opportunity with the the job that I current currently had. Bozeman was a great place 
to land. We were an eight hour drive from our in-laws. So we were comfortable enough to, to make the jump, but it, it wasn't easy. That's, that's for sure. But you, you do it anyway. Well, you're out there two years and, and, uh, I think you're going to find it will be harder and harder to go east. Like I grew up four hours from Cleveland in Toronto and I married a girl from Vancouver that we went to high school together with. And the day after we got married, we moved to Vancouver. Yep. So I've been out West since 1988 and I wouldn't move back East. And I love going to visit. Love it. Likewise. The open spaces uh, in the mountains of the West. Can't beat it. the, The climate in the West. It's hard to beat. Can't beat it. Yeah, you can't beat it. I mean, it's it's really unusual for somebody who basically grew up, lived, went to college within a thirty minute radius of kind of like my entire life. Yeah, going back to Ohio now, it it it's it actually when I land in Montana, I I feel like I'm home, which is which is weird to say. It's great to visit. I love going home, seeing family in Cleveland, but it, it's something about Montana has has definitely resonated as home very quickly. Okay, so so you and I on that drive, we were talking about architecture as well. Yep. I remember that. The architecture is so different. Actually, we've got a gal who works for us. She's uh, with an ad agency in Cleveland. Really? And we hired her because uh, through my partner in uh, in Dallas, it's his niece, and she's been with this ad agency for, for eight or nine years, and, and they're kind of in the high-end real estate. And when yeah. she looks at our magazine, she goes – Oh no no no! Ours is high end, but it's not even close. Right. To do different different language. What, so what's the difference? And and is it hard to acclimate to a new new style of design or craftsmanship? It, it's it's definitely different. I I would say we're in a unique pool of some amazingly talented people. I mean, yes, Bozeman Big Sky area is small, but the level of craftsmanship, the different builders that are at your fingertips. I mean, it, it is a different animal because the level of detail is so tremendously high. And I think a place like the Yellowstone Club and most of Big Sky, you know, Spanish Peaks and Moonlight, you know, they're creating this this benchmark of high end design that to be truthful, you know, when we first landed here and when we first opened, we were doing some really high end stuff and a lot of that stuff gets put on pause. A lot of these, a lot of these places we're working on are second or third residences. So we shifted gears to a lot of different projects in Bozeman and around the country. But what's been nice is we've been introduced to a really high end level of design that we're now integrating into maybe not the most high end or huge scale project work. We've been kind of been able to deliver this really nice product to homes of all shapes and sizes. And the difference in design style, it's it's unique. You know, Bozeman's got a lot of really talented architecture firms that we consider our peers and people that we look up to and, and lean into for inspiration. And everybody's got their own sense. You can drive past one of these houses or projects and go, hey, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that. That's a Jerry Licati house. Bingo. And, and what's nice about all of it is, is you're allowed to have your own flair. You know, it's so we've, we've found our lane for sure. We're, we're always evolving, but we've definitely, we definitely have our niche and we've got our aesthetic, which has been nice. And it's, it's again, been welcoming. One thing that I find interesting, I talk, I'll, I'll talk to whether they're builders or architects and they go, 
oh yeah, that's so and so. That's that's one of their houses. Like they just yeah. have that look. Yeah. And then there are other architects that go, no, we don't want to be pigeonholed into that no. box. We want the client to drive what the look is. So we just we walk in with a blank sheet of paper and experience, but it's not. We're not trying to make you know no. exposed beams or everything's got to be rock or all this stuff. We want to listen to the client. Yeah, I think that's what's unique about us is we have an incredible ability to listen. I, the firm I was with previously, I got some awesome exposure early on, and, and he was a great mentor and basically said, the best thing you can do is to serve your client and listen to them. And, you know, it's it's crazy. A lot of the stuff that we do is is really modern. But just yesterday, I mean, we, we met with the, the, the City of Livingston, you know, Historical Review Board. We're working on historical buildings in Livingston. Um, we've got an opportunity in Connecticut that would be very, very Cape Cod, very East Coast. We're working in the Bahamas and it's got to be bohemian. It can't be modern. So, you know, we're in six states. We're we're in the Bahamas. And so there's no you can't come with any preconceived notion of aesthetic. You got to listen to the client and understand the landscape and and you got to make it fit and you got to make it last long. You don't want a phone call 10 years from now and say, hey, man, this thing's dated. We, we want to be timeless and we want to do it right. So that's easier said than done. Yes, it is. And yes, it is. I was talking to a uh, an architect in Jackson Hole, Vera Iconica. And now that you're part of the family, you'll get copies of every magazine that we do. Yep. Because we want to, you mentioned you're in six states. His comment was, Ted, it's so nice to get the Palm Beach or the Naples or the yep. Scottsdale or the Hawaii book. Because A, it gives us ideas or our clients. We want our clients to look through them. To go, I like that, I like that. No, that doesn't, so that yeah. it kind of formulate in your brain, right? Absolutely. But he also said, when we do business in other places, and if it's one of the markets you serve, you've just narrowed down, what builders do I need to use? What interior designers? What subs are available? Because yep. you've got all the A-list of people. And I didn't even think about it. I've told my team, hey, don't forget that we can really serve our clients. Like interior designers and, and, arch and architects, you guys seem to go everywhere. Builders stay in there. Like if they're yep. in Big Sky, they're going to stay in Big Sky. Right, right. But you guys can do work anywhere. And, and we can do work anywhere. And, and again, in a weird way, COVID helped our profession. You know, pre-COVID, you rolled up the drawings, you got in your car, you went, you sat at a conference table and you unrolled and you went through things. Now, there's a lot of things you still need to do in person, but I think the luxury of things like Zoom and Teams allows you to hop on a quick call and have a quick design re review with a couple that is not in your state. And it's it's become more norm in our profession, which has been very helpful because your your work area, it got infinite. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it's not just a 30 minute, 45 minute car ride anymore. Now it's like, let's hop on a Zoom. We can, we can do this anywhere. So helpful okay so the designs in, in the northeast are colonial or traditional where i remember looking at plans when we built our first house in in bend oregon and you would look at these four thousand square foot homes and they've got three bedrooms and you go what like four thousand square feet back east first of big all house. it's a big house it's a big house and you got a basement which we don't have here right Yep, but the the rooms are bigger because the kitchen, the great room, the dining room—it's all one, basically one room in different yep. sections. Whereas back east, 
you got a 10 by 10 or a 10 by 12 room. Okay, this is the yep. bedroom. This is the dining room. This yep. is the kitchen. A lot of rooms, a lot of hallways. That's it. That's it, man. And everything is kind of, you know. It's evolving. But now, and especially for you Italians who love to talk and eat and talk with your hands. We need bigger rooms. We need bigger rooms. Louder. We need space. It's louder. It's a lot louder. <laughs> Acoustics were never taken into consideration in my grandparents' home. That's oh. for sure. But it's it's evolving. The plans are definitely evolving. And sometimes, you know, sometimes some of the best projects are some of the smaller ones where you got to be creative with space and and you be articulate with some of the structural stuff and, and you can create some really dynamic stuff. So it doesn't all have to be these huge, huge projects are great. But a, lo a lot of them, the, the ones that challenge us design wise tend to be a little bit smaller and, and really make us think outside of the box a little bit from a plan standpoint and come up with some awesome solutions. So we're, we're just finishing a 3,700 square foot house in, in Scottsdale. We move in, knock on wood, the end of the month. And it's awesome. been two years in the making. Yep. And I said to our, our architect and our builder, I said, listen, I really apologize for it being a small house. You guys are used to 10, 15, 20,000 square feet. And he goes, hey, those houses are fine, but we actually find 37, like 4,000 square feet more functional. And they're just as enjoyable because we can actually... You know, at 20,000 square feet, you don't use it. There's, you know, we got some huge stuff that that we find ways to fill the space for sure. And then we've got some stuff in that 3,000 to four to 500 square foot range that are some pretty sweet pads. You can do a lot in that space. And, you know, square footage is just a number now where before it was, you know, East Coast is, hey, there's this room, this hallway. Well, now when you when you combine a lot of spaces, the house lives a lot larger than it used to. So, um, and there's a lot more outdoor spaces. You know, a four thousand square foot house with a big outdoor living space, it lives big, especially when they're well connected. So you bring that landscape inside, and and it makes your footprint of your house much larger than the thirty five to forty five hundred square foot house. So is it depressing for you to not make homes with screened in porches because those are a big deal in Cleveland? <laughs> So weird, man. It's so weird. Nobody wants a screen. I keep telling you, does anybody want a screen porch? No, nobody in Montana wants it. So uh, luckily enough, we've got a lot of projects still in Ohio. So I get my screen porch one way or another. <laughs> now that now they're all with the windows that go into the walls and everything. Just right. You push a button and everything drops down. So I guess technically it's not a screen porch. It's a hybrid of a space, but not a lot of screens in Montana. That's a luxury. No bugs. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. And and I just think of Moonlight Basin up in Big Sky and oh. and the views that go on forever. Incredible. That's, that's the other thing is you, the views in Cleveland of your cousin Lenny. And it's not, I don't want to look at his house, which is too no. close anyway. No, no. Uh, Montana's got a luxury of space and incredible views. We get We get called to go to some of these initial site visits and we get to drive around and you know, some of the roads aren't in, so we're in off-road vehicles, and we get to these really remote locations, and I'm just kind of in awe every time. I'm still relatively new to Montana, so I'm still learning a lot of the geography here, and it it's mind-boggling how, how beautiful some of these spaces are. Okay, just so you know, 35 years later, you'll still be in awe of Montana. I, I That's my hope. Yeah. Okay, so, so how tough is the process? You moved to Bozeman. You don't have any clients. How tough is the process to actually start building up a firm? It's been it's been challenging, but in a in a very good way. Came came to Montana 
left my previous job after about seven months out here. Just realized that Bozeman Bozeman was home. I didn't want our time here to be short term. I wanted it to be our, our forever space for our kids. So when I left and decided to open up NVS, I focused on things that I had learned in the past. And a lot of what I learned in my in my time before was you got to create great relationships. You have to have somebody spinning your web and telling your story about who you are. You know, no one, no one in Bozeman's calling Nick Cerna, you know, to, for a new house. They don't even know I'm here. So you've got to have people out there that are, are willing to speak for you and, and um, speak, speak in a, in a way that they can understand, Hey, you know, maybe I should give this guy a phone call. So Again, luckily enough and, and crazy enough, a lot of my connections, I mean, I started Googling anybody here on LinkedIn and if they had an Ohio as their starting location, I met a lot of Ohioans, um, Highline, you know, Highline Construction, they're, they're, they're from Ohio, um, a lot, you know, Todd? Lowe's Construction, yeah, yeah, Todd, Todd's from Cincinnati, uh, Lowe's Construction, Chris is from Indiana. I found a lot of Midwesterners very, very quick and I met with them. And when I first landed here, you know, yeah, I, I was working on a Yellowstone Club project with the previous firm. And and I didn't know what the Yellowstone Club was being from Cleveland. But the YC carries a lot of weight. So yeah. that that opened a lot of doors. And it's like, hey, man, if you're if you're able to play in the Yellowstone Clubs, you know, in their land. Yeah, we'll, we'll hear you out. So I got to I got to open a lot of doors with that initial project. And a lot of people started referring me and typically I would get a, I would get the phone call. I have two questions for you. Do you have capacity to take on a project and what are your fees? Well, and as a, as a new guy, of course I've got the flexibility and we can figure out the fees that make sense. So I picked up a lot of work very, very fast. Didn't matter the scale. We were doing kitchen remodels, garage additions, and then every once in a while, we get a call for a, a big project. And we've just been able to be flexible and stay flexible and not say no to anything. And we've met some really awesome people along the way. I, I still am very surprised and very excited when I get a call and said, so-and-so gave me your number and they said, I have to call you, which has been, I mean, that's amazing, especially only being in a spot for two years. So we try and follow that call up with amazing work and an amazing process. And I, I would say that it's, it's working. I did. I was in Naples. Uh, when was I there? A couple of weeks ago, and I was doing a a video. We we started a video series that we're going to yeah. launch on YouTube probably in a a month and a half or so. I wanted to create enough inventory. I've got eight eight projects now. One house we just finished was a project in Palm Beach, nineteen thousand square square feet on three and a half acres, downtown Naples on the Atlantic Ocean. That's that's a big project. Trump's place was was about a mile away, and the Breakers Hotel, the iconic hotel in Palm yep. Beach, was half a mile. So the place was spectacular, and and uh, we were there with an interior designer, Paladino Rudd. They're just fantastic people. Anyway, in Naples, I'm doing a video with kind of the main architect in town, and his the gal who uh, their director of operations. She goes, hey, this builder's going to show up. Do you care? He's not a client. I go, no, I don't care. He built this house. He did a great job. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm not territorial. I could care less. Hopefully, it'll be a client someday. I don't know. Yeah. And um, it was his first job after leaving one of the best builders in Naples. Yeah. And the guy who owned the house 
is a big race car, owns a big race car driving team. And uh, the guy goes, hey, somebody, I was a third string, nobody race car driver 35 years ago, and somebody gave me a chance. And he goes, I'm going to give you a chance because yep. that's how it starts. It's exactly how it starts. We, we've gotten every, we've taken on every little opportunity and we've met some really awesome people. And every time we've completed one of our projects, people are overly thrilled and they tend to refer us on to the next. So that's exactly how it starts. So people have to give you a chance. They have to trust you. You got to You got to trust and you have to have a good project, good process and a, a good finished project. So we've been, we've been really lucky. I, I think my experience from the past, I would say was very unique. I got, I got exposure very early on in the profession. That was, I'd spent a lot of time with clients. I spent a lot of time with a really talented architect who taught me how to navigate certain things. And then I learned early on too. I, you know, I, I, I'm very, very good with people. I love people. I love learning about them. I love listening and, and translating through architecture. So you know, you're most Italian. Of, you have to love people. It's part of the people part of the and project. pasta. Those are the two P's I was it's, taught by my that's Italian it. friends. That's it right there. So I've been lucky enough to, you know, fall in line. I come from a big family of Italian entrepreneurs that they, they very successfully sold food, but more importantly, created an amazing culture and amazing business wrapped around people. I mean, they have they have staff that have been part of their team for 40 years because they believe in them, right? They, they set a path and, and their customer base, they love the family, they love the people, they love the experience, they love the communication. I've been able to take a lot of those key things and, and pull it into my own architectural experience. And, and it definitely, it's, it's not cliche. It's not just because we want to, it's, it's because we care. And I, and I do believe that people definitely resonate with it with our approach to just about everything that we do okay so i want to kind of dive a little bit into you went to kent state university you've yep. obviously uh, got your architectural degree what's the difference between school and real life just about everything um <laughs> uh i mean that's a that's a very honest response i mean you you learn the basics of how your mind works in school. I mean, you, you can start to understand maybe how to put things together mentally and how to approach design. But as far as the architecture profession, I, I think there's a lot of things that are, are left to be learned after school. One of the things that I think would be super beneficial, uh, even with Montana State, I think we're going to try and hit the career fair here in February, is is I, again, back to my previous experience, I, I, as an intern in my sophomore year, I started with my previous firm just as an intern. I was kind of like just doing whatever I could to help out. It was a small practice at the time. So just computer stuff, hand drawings, scanning, just little things, you know, that, that was more beneficial than really what I was learning on a day-to-day -day basis in, in studio. So you, you pair a great studio with a great internship. I think that's where you can come out of school really ready, you know, still no experience, but really ready to fit into a entry level, entry level role. But there's so much to learn. And honestly, architecture is not just design. There's a lot of psychology that goes into it. I mean, you, you're dealing with different types of people, different types of projects, different backgrounds. You, you got to be able to navigate if you're going to be in a leadership position anywhere. You have to be able to navigate a lot of different things. 
and it's not just strictly designed. So I guess school is helpful, but you got to get into the field to really, to really start to understand the profession. That's for sure. How long do you think it takes to learn and really hone your craft so that you've got the experience to think on your feet? Because they don't teach you that at school. Five to seven years. I would say five to seven years is a really good, I think that's a really good window of time to absorb. And it depends on if you're a sponge or not. You know, I, I tell anybody that's new, be a sponge, ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid. You know, you're going to have failures, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, they still to this day, I go to job sites and why are you framing it like this? Why are you doing that? Why would we use this? And, you know, it's not to be annoying. It's just, you know, knowledge is power and it's impossible. You can't just sit behind your desk all day and draw. You got to get into the field and see how see how these things are built and ask the questions because once you experience it, you learn it. So um, I, I would say five to seven years is probably probably you can start to get comfortable and be in a spot where you can answer a lot of questions but you still got to be vulnerable enough to, to learn. It's the profession never changes. If anything, it's changing very rapidly. So you got to be a constant learner. So uh, 3D modeling has become a big deal in the last five to eight years. And now all of a sudden the renderings become so lifelike on your computer yep. and you can basically walk Mr. and Mrs. Jones through their home yep. and they feel like they're in their home. Now, I did hear something interesting from an architect in Palm Beach. They were building this. It's the world's largest net zero house. It'll be on the cover of our Naples magazine uh, next year. 60,000 square feet. And the, the owners, they, they created these life-size, two-scale rooms out of cardboard. So if the, if the room is... 20 feet high, the ceiling's 20 feet high. They created a cardboard room with a ceiling 20 feet high so that he and his wife could walk in and get perspective. So talk to me about how technology has aided your profession and how old world, you know, whether it be hand-drawn stuff or balsa wood, which is what probably when you oh, started. I know what balsa wood is. Right? Yep, yep. So, Sometimes you can't get rid of those old things because there's still nope. great value to kind of marrying the two together. No, and it and it goes and actually that goes back to schooling. I think I think one thing that school schooling does really well is it teaches you your your physical craft. You know how you can make models, your your technical drawing skills. I mean those are still those are still very important skills. You can't just you can't just use software to create. I mean, I guess you could. I, I guess I don't just use software to create um, is a better way to put it. NVS, our team does not just use software to create design. We, we are intentional with hand drawing, sketching. I, we do redlining together. We don't build any mass models because our software is so great. I think geologically too, our software is very accurate. We spend a lot of time photographing sites and getting the site just right in our software. That's a huge advantage that I would say technologically has advanced um, is our ability to understand views, light, orientation, approach, the whole experience, start to finish. You can create that in software where that's really hard to do in a physical model. You're, you're asking a client to do a lot. It's sort of like a leap of faith. You know, they're, you're asking them to, you got to visualize this. You got to see this. Um, I would say a, a crutch though with software is 
sometimes it is you're asking you are asking a client to do a lot it's it's visually some of these images are so realistic they're so well finished you know sometimes you're you're not quite that finished in the process so you got to find the balance of what are we going to share with the client to get the information that we need to move forward and and what are we going to hold off on so we're not asking too many questions you know you put some people in a space in the computer there's more questions than there are answers or at level yep. of excitement. So you, you, we are constantly trying to find that balance. And I think it's a client by client project by project basis. Um, some you can get to a finished product much sooner. Others, you kind of have to just work them through slowly and show them spaces. And then, you know, even when we're on our construction administration phase, I mean, we walk people through projects we've been designing for a year and a half and you walk them through framing and they're like, I had no idea the kitchen sink was going to be here. And that's just a reality. And then the studs go up and they're like, this is way too small. The drywall goes in. This room's huge. You know, it's it's a constant evolution of space. And you've got to be there to walk them through the process from start to finish. And it goes that goes back to trust. At some point, they're not either going to like what they see or they're going to feel uncomfortable. And they got to know that they they trusted the person that they hired. So. Okay, so our builder goes, okay, Ted, Leslie, when we start building this, you're going to go through so many different phases of, oh, the space is, man, it feels too small. Oh, yep. man, it just got big again. Oh, Dude. it got small. Oh, it got yep. big again. It happens. It happens all the time. We see it all the time. It doesn't matter how much detail you put in that computer model. It's when it's finally real and it's going together, there's a lot of, oh, wow moments where you, you do one way or the other. You don't know. Um, you don't know until it's all said and done. And, and we love when people walk in and go, this is exactly what I wanted, even though there was a lot of, oh, wow, along the way, good or bad. So the other thing is, is when you only because we're just literally finishing it, the budget is a line item on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And you look at the budget, and especially the last couple of years when things went crazy, yep. we thought we were going to build a house for X. It ended up being basically 2X. Yep. So now you go from, okay, I'm totally comfortable building this house, to now you're totally uncomfortable. And every decision, you start to micromanage all the decisions. Absolutely. Then you, Nick, then you get into the house and you go, the level of detail, you go, well, no wonder it's so expensive. That's so cool. That's yep. so cool. And you go, okay, now I get it. Yeah, there's a, and there's a difference between dollar and value. And we try and explain that to people too. I mean, you know, a lot of the, the clients that we talk to, they want to create these amazing spaces. And of course, there's a budget. Of course, there's a schedule. There's timing. There's, you know, people are having kids or they want to be in a house before a school year starts or they want to move when the timing's right. So there's a lot of variables that are line items on paper that you, of course, you, you keep in the back of your mind and you work towards, but it all starts with that first wish list. I mean, you hear what people want, you hear what their wishes are, and you do everything you can to achieve them. And then when there's dollars associated to them, there's, of course, there's difficult decisions to make. But at some point, some of those decisions, you can't just say, you know what, well, we won't do that. Well, maybe phase it or what is the true value of that to you? Don't just nix something just to nix it. You know, just understand the value because the finished product, when it's all said and done, you walk in and you go, yeah, this, this was worth it. I'm glad I didn't cut corners. I was in a $14 million spec house in Paradise Valley, which is a really nice area of Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. We've got a project. We've got a project there now in Paradise Valley. Oh, you yes, do? Yes, we do. Okay. If you ever come down, phone me. Sounds good. So, so, uh, 
so I'm in this spec house and the builder, he's just awesome. I love him. I love him. And we're walking around the house and he goes, oh yeah, we, uh, we put this, uh, I need to know this because I've heard it so many times and I'm blanking on it. Anyway, it was, it was a foam. It was a foam like building blocks, not IBS. Anyway, ICF. Yeah. ICF. That's it. So, they spent $300,000 on this and you will never see it. Yeah. But it was a really effective and efficient, A, it's it, from an insulation standpoint, from a a design, and it kind of goes together like Lego pieces, yep. right? He goes, I went to my partners and said, hey, listen, we're going to spend $300,000 on this and nobody's ever going to see it. And they go, yeah, no problem. Let's do, let's do it. And then he starts telling me about some other things. Yeah, you know what? We just just decided we weren't going to spend the money on that. And I go, you mean to tell me you've got a budget in a $14 million house? He goes, I know it's a lot of money, but you still have to pay attention or stuff gets away from you. You have to, yeah, you have to start, you have to start with some budget goals, high, low. And then you, you, you have a, you have the wish list that goes along with it and you got to do what you can to pair budget with wish list. And then, you know, it, it comes together. Yeah, one of the cool things that he did in this house, Nick, and you should think about doing it if you don't already, is in the garage. He had he had power station like power outlets in the floor of the garage, oh. so that people down here they go away for six months, but it's 120 degrees. Car batteries melt. Yep. Right, like they go dead. So you you get a drip, and so instead of dragging an extension cord or trying to figure out how I'm going to interesting uh, Jimmy this car in so that I can get to the power outlet. He put it in the concrete in the floor of the garage. Very interesting. So just a thought. Yeah. I've told a few people that and they go, Hey, I never even thought Not about a bad that idea. Great idea. Um, I told that to some people in Naples and they go, yeah, well we've got storms. So sometimes the driveways get flooded. Yeah. But the breakers are, uh, as soon as there's water on them, it shuts the breakers down. So yeah. it's actually, it's no That's issue. That's interesting. That's actually a really good idea. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> just a thought for you. Taking notes. Anyway, when we're, when we're off air, I got, I want to tell you about this, uh, Legno best stone, uh, best okay. flooring, my, my, my builder and they're Italian people. And I'm just thinking of, I've got to give you the, I did, uh, a podcast with the owner's daughter, Tiffany Guido. Oh, sweet. And it was just awesome podcast and to hear the story of grandpa going up going up the side of this mountain every day awesome. and it would take him an hour to hike up cut the wood bring it down oh it's just i just love old world stuff and i hope that with all the technology people need to understand at the end of the day we're still real people yep and technology is great but this could be the death of us i totally agree technology is a great resource and it's going to continue to advance every profession but you, you've got to have a level of humanality to what you do and service. Yeah. And you, you got to be able to, in our world, you got to be able to use your hands. Yeah. My daughter, my daughter was talking to me yesterday and she goes, we're, she goes, Dad, do you have Siri on your phone? I go, I, I never use it. I don't think I do. And she grabbed my phone and she, and she goes, hey, Siri, I need this. No, I disabled it. I go, okay, great. She goes, because on my phone, I didn't disable it. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to somebody. 
And later on that day, I start getting ads for this particular recipe that I was talking about with one of my girlfriends. They're listening all the time. We don't need that. No, no. We don't need no. that. All right, so what, what uh, projects are you jacked up about? Jacked up. We've got some amazing opportunities. So we've got our winery project in California. That's hospitality. That's just, when it's all said and done, that place is going to be over the top. It's in, it's in Paso Robles. Where is it? It's in Paso Robles. Yeah, I love it. Um, very, very You're Italian. Do you like wine? Man, absolutely. Do you know how good Paso, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I know. I'm not being condescending. I'm just because you're from the East Coast. Paso Robos is incredible wine. It is. There's there's a there's a uh, winery called Austin. When you're in Paso Robos, you have to go to it. Their wine is phenomenal. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. We we go probably two three times a year now that the project's going. Okay. Is that because you have to, or because you're making an excuse? A little bit of both. <laughs> do you take your wife? We do take the wife and kids always. It's fun. Okay. Good. Gets us out of, it gets us out of Bozeman in the cold. But the winery project is, is, is going to be, when it's all said and done, incredible. It's going to be an incredible wine experience. We, we've sort of gravitated to the owner there because of the experience he's trying to create with his wine is a lot of what, how we feel about how we approach architecture. So when that's all said and done, Pious Wines will be an amazing place in Paso. One of the coolest things about that project was the owner took us to Napa and showed us five of his dream vineyards, all private. And it was, it was amazing to experience wine and Napa Valley in that sense. We got exposure to places that were most people don't get to go to and really opened our eyes for what we could, what we could create. So that project is amazing. Our Bahamas project is very cool, very bohemian, very different. We'll fit on Guanake uh, Island very well. We've got some homes in Big Sky and Spanish Peaks that are exciting me very much. Very different aesthetic, pushing the limits of design. We've got a project up in Spring Hill, which is just north of Bozeman here, on 200 acres. Some of the best views I would, I've would i seen in, in Montana, but I have yet to see everything. So I'm sure there's better ones out there. And we've got a really cool project on Cleveland's Lake that is when it's all said and done, it's going to be really, really cool. You feel like you don't feel like you're in Cleveland. That's for sure. You feel like you're transplanted to the East coast. So how do you get all these different projects? Like what's it, is there a connection point? Are there, can you draw a line and go, Oh, well, so-and-so connected me with so-and-so. How do you get them? So we get our projects from builders, previous relationships and all word of mouth. I don't think a lot of people, I don't think I've got a call yet from anybody that Googled our firm and found us. It's either been relationship-based or, hey, I got your name from a builder. Obviously, we've got 12 years of experience in Ohio, so we've actually got seven projects going in Ohio. But everything that we do is is really word of mouth. And it's, hey, we heard you did a great job for so-and-so. And the nice thing about working in Big Sky is, like I said earlier, is most of those houses are people's second or third home. So, hey, you're doing work for us in Big Sky. Can you do work for us elsewhere? And that's just translated kind of all over. So it's a, it's a really nice luxury to have. And we're, we're very lucky to meet the people that we do. I always tell people that Google is a great resource to check you out. Yep. But there's nothing better 
No, no different, quite frankly, than being in Build Magazine. We don't look at Build Magazine and say, oh, you're going to get X number of jobs. It's just a validation of the word of mouth from people because the word of mouth is the trust level. 100%. And now, and now they go, hey, go, go talk to Nick Snerna. And then they Google Nick and they check out your, your website and they check out your projects and they go, hey, that's a great referral. And then they, they because if, if somebody isn't building anything, they will never see our magazine. It's just like buying a car. Right. If you're in the market for a BMW, you see BMWs all over the road. But if you're not, it they're all over the road, but you don't see them. You don't right? notice. Not at all. And then when you're in that building mode, you're picking up stuff because you're you're constantly thinking, okay, what am I going to put into this house? Yep. No different than the work. Now the architect says, hey, we're going to use Arctic Spas, or we're going to use Simpkin Hollands, or we're going to we recommend using whoever it is, right? Right. And now you see it and you hear it and you go to their website. It's all connection points, but the credibility comes from the person who told you, hey, we're going to use so-and-so. Absolutely. And it, honestly, a lot of that goes back to the technology question you asked. You know, because we're in such an infant state of our business, a lot of what our stuff, a lot of the, what we have is under construction. So we've got amazing images on our website. Most of them are computer generated, but it's enough to tell the story and explain to yeah. people that we've got the ability to do all these things, especially across the country. So that's when technology is an amazing tool and resource. We can present what we're working on in an amazing fashion. It's just a great tool to have within the firm. And, and, and for now, until we have all this stuff built, it's, it's a great way to present to clients and show them, hey, we have the capability to do all this stuff. And Google is just a great resource, right? I mean, even, even looking at what all of our peers are doing or, or, or firms across the country, you almost look at, you almost Google them just to look at their portfolio of work to just gain knowledge. And it's a good benchmark. People Google us and say, oh, okay, yeah, they're, they're legit. But it takes a phone call and some interviews and some explaining to really earn a project. It's, it's not, it doesn't really happen a lot through just Google until your reputation's built. We're not, we're not quite there yet. So tell me about an experience where you landed a dream project or a whale and the presentation, because you just walked into it and you got my brain thinking about it, is you still have to do a presentation to get them to go finally write the check. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories so far has been when I first opened and about three months in, I had an opportunity to go present to a client. So I was like, you know what? I want to I wanna blow the doors off this presentation. So I went to download a software and my credit card was maxed out. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, man. I need this software. So I opened a second credit card five hours before the meeting, downloaded this, got the temporary number, downloaded the software. I was like, I've got I've, this presentation's got to be awesome. I mean, you, when you're at this point, you, you don't have a lot of opportunities to get these huge projects. So every one you get, you got to make it happen. So I get a temporary credit card number. I download the software. I come up with a really sweet concept. I'm still working on it as I'm driving. I pull in amazing presentation. They're blown away by the 3D model. And, and ultimately they signed up. And I think it was a mixture of really good conversation and, and, and maybe the model was a, was a bonus, but you know, those, those opportunities are far and few between. So when you have them, you got to do everything you can to get them to sign up. But I just, I'll never forget that day. Like, come on, man. 
can't even buy a software right now. This is the spot we're in. You just quit your job. You're in a place where you know nobody, and you know. But it's they're a cl- they're a client now, and one of our bigger ones, and and it's a, it's one of our best projects. So, you know, you do what you can, but you got to be able to navigate those those meetings. That's for sure. Okay, just understand that is your story. That's a great story. It, it was, uh, you know, at the time it wasn't very funny because I was. I was in full-on panic mode. You know, I wasn't paying myself. And the fact that I had a credit card maxed out and couldn't even buy a software for a presentation. And it was it's not like some crazy software. I mean, it was like 2500 bucks. But I knew that if I could just continue to get in front of the right people and get myself out there and tell my story, that one of these projects would land. So luckily that one did, and a lot did after that too. But... Man, that day I was so frustrated. That day I was so flustered, and I'll never forget the 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 model was like downloading from our server that I had online, and I had a hot spot in my pocket in the car, and I didn't finish downloading till I pulled in the parking lot. I walked in so flustered, but composed myself well enough that we got the project. But you know, this is a learning experience, that's for sure. Well, as you talk to people, especially around Montana, because most of them are pretty humble. I mean, I'm not saying they're humble in the Yellowstone Club, but most sure. most of them are pretty humble. Is those are the stories we've all got them, yeah. And I tell them all the time. And you never really, at least with most people I know, they don't. We don't think about our successes for very long. No, because as soon as you have that success, now you want to you want to push yourself for something different. Absolutely, absolutely, you do. One of the people that I talk to the most about about business and growth really is my dad. And it was my grandfather. He passed away last year at 98. And, and what you said earlier kind of resonated about the Italian marble was, you know, my grandfather started a, well, his dad started a grocery store in Chicago and it was just this little market. And, you know, my dad and his family have been able to turn it into this huge business. And, and I've listened to my dad for years. I mean, he's been in that business for 44 years, him and his brother talk about their struggles and talk about somebody gave them a chance and, you know, hey, do you have refrigerated trucks? And they said, yeah, we have refrigerated trucks. They didn't have refrigerated trucks. They did everything they could to get in front of the right people and build a business. And it, it's neat to fast forward to what I'm doing currently. A lot of what they told me and their struggles that they went through, you know, it kind of fuels me to every time we, we, we run into a struggle, like last year, for example, we had three $20 million homes to start last year. And I was thinking, wow, wow, this is incredible. And, you know, I, I, we hired a couple guys and one, you know, John moved from San Diego to Bozeman. Vince moved from Cleveland to Bozeman. I got, I got a team moving here. It's incredible. All three of those jobs went away in May. They all pushed pause. So we had to find a way to, yeah, they all went away. They all disappeared. So everything we were banking on disappeared. It fizzled. So we had to find a way to divert quickly. And we've just been able to continuously be resilient and find every opportunity. That's why I don't say no is not in our vocabulary right now. So I tell my guys when I when things are tough, 40, week, 40 hours a week aren't going to cut it for now. I mean, we got we work hard, man. We we, we stay up late. We're very available. We, we got we're working on the East Coast, West Coast, Montana time, Bahamas. I mean, we're we're available and we're we do. We work hard, but it's because. We learned, and I learned a long time ago, you got to be resilient. And the longer you're resilient, the longer your business will last. So I learned from a lot of really good mentors. 
So I'm just a firm believer that I'm I'm 61. I've been in business, self-employed since I was 30. Yeah. Okay. That's a long time. A lot of recessions. Yeah. You got to figure stuff out. End of the day, you got to figure it out. Got to be malleable. You got to be flexible. You can't you can't stay in one lane. I mean, I I was I, I'm in Montana. I'm only here a year and a half. I mean, not even in business six months. I've got these three monster houses, a winery in California. I'm thinking, this is I mean, this is unbelievable. Well, all that comes to a halt. I'm not going to change my path. So we just changed what we did. I mean, it was. It was anything, and it, and it was calling in some favors. Hey, you got somebody who needs a kitchen remodel? Do you got somebody who needs a garage? Does anybody need a barn? And I think that's made us really, really good at what we do. We can do just about anything at a very high level, and people have a great experience throughout the whole way. I don't care. I don't care what the project is. Obviously, the big projects are great, but you've got to be able to execute every project at the same level. And I think. I think our history has allowed us to do that. And I say history much longer than a year and a half. My experience, how I was raised, the people I was raised by, you know, my parents, they worked hard. They worked hard and built something awesome. And it wasn't always a success story. So that fuels me and my team constantly. Part of part of the reason I do the podcast is because I really want to, first of all, the American dream to me is everything coming from Canada and the ability for anybody, if you got an idea, to, to be a success. Yeah. Right. Second thing is the younger generation. They just look at, especially with TikTok or Instagram, and they look at the Kardashians and they think, oh, everybody wants to be an influencer. And I heard the other day, oh, everybody's doing a podcast, but they don't know what they're doing, the podcaster, or they don't understand that there's very few people that can become an quote unquote influencer. Right. And they think success is so easy. So when they hear no, you know, it drives me crazy that the younger generation, they don't want to ask anybody out on a date anymore. No. You know, because God forbid that girl says no to you. No. Everything's too easy. Everything's too right. easy now. And it's and and that's why I say no is not in our vocabulary. I've been told a lot no a lot. And even at our previous practice, we'd be so excited about a project and, and the principal would come to me and he'd say, Don't get that excited. It's not until it's in ink. And my dad says the same thing. Until that's in ink, man. Don't and even what even then I mean, you know, you our, had three projects in ink that went on hold, gone, and we haven't we haven't we haven't heard you know we haven't heard any updates. I mean, they may come back, and most likely they will at some point, but you don't know when that is. So yeah, even it's a the whole world is vulnerable, especially with everything going on. I mean, it, anything can change at any moment. You got to be prepared for it, and you got to be flexible. So we divert when we need to, and and we do it well. I've got a couple of stories in there, you know, kind of listening to to what you're saying. There's a, there's a, I'm, I'm referring to your folks and your grandfather starting this grocery store, which made me think of Stu Leonard's. I don't know if you've ever heard no. of Leonard's in uh-uh. Connecticut. Oh, you got to Google it. Yeah. Stu Leonard's is, it's a boutique grocery store that owns Connecticut. Sweet. And, and incredible. He's an incredible operator. Yep. And it's been he's been around for forty years. Yeah, you have to Google Google it. Okay. Anyway, I'm doing a podcast. This is podcast number three. It's with a guy, and I've never met him, but I love his business. And he's the owner of Mountainland Design, which is a Sub Zero Wolf, you know, high end appliances in Salt Lake. But they're also in Sun Valley, Idaho. They're in Jackson Hole. They're in obviously Park City, and also in Boise. Okay. Yep. So I'm I'm and this guy Dan, the owner Dan. 
awesome. I mean, he's just awesome. Love it. So he started out and he was working for an appliance place in Park City. And they said, hey, go and deliver this fridge to this builder. He's got to have it today. So they don't have a delivery truck. Dan, now it's a small fridge. This is 30 years ago. Yeah. Dan has it strapped on his Nissan Pulsar, a 1980 Nissan Pulsar with a T-roof. So he takes the T-roof off, straps it on the hood, drives to the job site, delivers the fridge, goes and talks to the builder. It's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the builder goes, uh, hey, where's your truck? He goes, uh, I don't have a truck. I brought my car. He goes, you had the fridge on that car? He goes, yeah, I figured out a way to strap it in so I could get you the fridge. He goes, you did what? He goes, yeah, we didn't have a truck available. And they said, I got to get this to the job site. So gotta do what I you just gotta figured do. out a way to make Right. And the guy looks at him and goes, hey, do you work every day? He goes, I want you here working for me. And he goes, no, no, I can't do that. And they negotiated something so that the guy could do some part-time work for this guy. And the builder is still a client today Love it. of Dan. And Dan's got, now he's got a company. He ended up taking over the appliance place in Park City that he worked for because they wanted to retire. He took it over. Now he's got 150 people, five locations in three states. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You make it happen. You believe That's it. Right. You, you just And you just work hard. And I think I think there's a lot of Midwest mentality where it's, you know, just, just hard work, man. Just keep working just hard and be, be available. All right. Well, listen, we're at an hour and I could talk to you for another hour and I'm going to be in Bozeman. I think we're doing some videos in April. Okay. I'll keep you posted. Cool. If you're going to come to Paradise Valley, phone me. Let's go have a beer or whatever. Sounds good. I'll take you through this house we've got finished. Awesome. And Nick, I'm excited about your journey. Thank you. I'm I'm super stoked, like I said, when we started about having this conversation. Likewise. Because two years ago, driving through Wyoming, and it was, I just remember it so vividly. Yeah. Because you're super humble, you're super smart, and you're super open to everything, which I think is a, is a critical component to being successful. So well, uh, thanks for being part of Friends of Build Magazine. Well, thanks for taking my phone call when you, on that cold, wintry <laughs> day, because it's a... Uh, it, it, From it, an area code I didn't. That's what, right. That two eight one or two, something like two, that. Two one six. Two eight one. Two one six. Everybody's oh. rooting for the two one six this weekend too. But no, I I appreciate anybody that answers the phone and takes the time to talk to me because it's. I want to tell a story and I want to build a great thing and and I'm I'm looking forward to doing so. So you will happy to be a part of it. All right. Okay, I'm going to send you a link to okay. uh, Leg No Best Stone because okay. that that podcast, especially you being Italian. You'll completely appreciate it. And those guys, our builder said, that's the best flooring they've ever seen. Love it. All right. Love it. Okay, man. Thanks. Thank you, Ted. Okay. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine Podcasts.